Welcome to today's episode where we dive into the Garden Hype Cycle. The Garden Hype Cycle shows the life cycle of different emerging technologies and how they go through their path to customer adoption from the initial innovation trigger to the eventual plateau of productivity where they reach their peak value but also their peak adoption. And we will assess how different AI technologies fall on the Garden Hype Cycle and how we think they're really placed on it. So let's dive right in. Welcome to the Artificially Unintelligent Podcast, where we, William and Nikolai, discuss research and how one can apply AI in real life. We are your unintelligent hosts and hope to spark your interest in AI. So please sit back, enjoy a good cup of coffee or other beverage of your choice, and let's dive right in. Okay, let's go. So tight schedule today. Tight schedule, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think um I think I think today won't be as I don't know technic technical like diving deep into a specific topic, but I suppose we'll cover a lot of ground anyway. Yeah, yeah. So today we will talk about the the new hype cycle for emerging technologies. So the hype cycle is something Gartner so Gartner is like a market research company brings out every year and they're putting like each relevant technology on a hype cycle and they're doing this for like different industries different technology types and this year it's like mostly AI for the general mm -hmm. hype cycle yeah and the hype cycle it has like five different phases and basically you can put them on two axes on like the x-axis is basically the time and the y-axis is the expectations for the technology so basically they want to measure or quantify a little bit how much expectations the public has to a certain uh, technology and what they have basically postulated is that each technology basically goes through a hype cycle where in the beginning, all of the people have very low expectations, but then it quickly like rises exponentially to like a peak of inflated ex expectations, where the people really expect too much from a technology, where it's really overhyped. And after that, it goes to like a throw of disillusionment. So it really falls down again, where you don't expect anything. And in the end, it slopes over a longer time period. It slopes upwards again. The people get more expectations. And then it levels off to a plateau of productivity, they call it, which is then like expectations that reflect the capability of the technology. Yeah, uh, I think you can kind of see it as a first massive wave of just expectations coming. And then on the other side, there's a big slum, basically, when you realize, uh, um, it's not so useful actually right now because of the technology has not matured yet or the use cases aren't really there. And then over time, people find more and more effective solutions and then you kind of integrate it into your um, yeah, daily life. Yeah. And like you shouldn't take the time access too seriously. It's like time in general and they classified five different phases but each technology reaches the different phases at a different speed. And also within the specific phases, it uh, the different technologies can show different like velocities. So for example, chatbots are one example 
which went from zero to 100 in no time in the past two years. Yeah, I like the launch of um, ChatGPT. I think people were just very surprised to see it. And then all of a sudden, everyone was an expert in uh, large language models. And uh, it went on to GPT-4, Llama models, um, anything, BERT, whatever you have out there. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Do you have it in front of you? Do you uh, yeah. have some technologies that you want to talk about? Yeah. So let me, let me pull it up and share my screen. Um, mm -hmm. So basically on, on top are three different technologies. First cloud native. Um, so basically cloud native development or anything cloud native. The second one is generative AI. And the third one is AI augmented software engineering. So these are the three technologies which are on the peak of the expectations that people have towards them. Mm -hmm. And what do you think? Do you think they're do you well think Do you think cloud native is really peak of inflated expectations? I feel like that one, that was like five years ago almost. But when people were, you know, starting to really push everything to the cloud, like it seemed like they, they were kind of making a move back then. And since then it's, uh, people have understood that it's a good thing, but it's kind of been going through some delusionment that not really been hyped so much. Yeah. So I would say cloud native is either here somewhere. So on the down slope, yeah. or it's also already at the like slope up towards the realistic expectation. Yeah. I feel like it's already been dragged through the mud a bit. So like, if you want to call it like that, but I, I feel like it's not so hyped it's kind of through delusionment or a slope of enlightenment yeah. when people are starting to realize that like whoa you can actually use it now i i currently work in like my phd is funded by a european project which seeks to kind of push technologies to the cloud and merge them with edge solutions and i feel like this has been talked about for almost 10 years so I would I would almost say that it's kind of on the upward later phases. Yeah, I think I would I would probably agree. For and they maybe an additional information on the we will link the the side where you can look at it in the in the show notes. But they always give a time frame within which the plateau, so the realistic expectations where the expectations match the capabilities will be reached. And they say for cloud native it will be five to ten years. So longer than generative AI, even though cloud native has been around. I, for I would say I would not give it 10 years. I would say within five, so up, up to five, I would say. So I think people, why I would say it's on the slope, people are figuring out what to place in the cloud and what to place on server farms, especially mm. bigger companies. But I think cloud is pretty much figured out and it's the de facto standard for it's basically they have to make it a bit more user friendly and then people from everywhere can basically use it yeah but i think we see that in development already that there are some wrappers around aws for example that mm. focus on specific use cases so for example i've seen one for lambda functions where you can easily create and deploy Lambda functions, which are taking over all of the backend work. I think it's a Y Combinator startup. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, a good approach. But for me, it's like usability 
and like expectations towards cloud native i think people are pretty realistic what yeah about my and, and the i mean we, we should okay. say that all these expectations and predictions about future technologies or trends or whatever there is people are always wrong or people yeah. are mostly wrong because they underestimate for example the slope of a of an exponential curve let's say or they overestimate for example what ai will do when it was back in the 60s or something like that and compute power wasn't really around anyway or memory um but then you have for for example take an example of i think it's energy or power generated by solar farms worldwide or something like that. And I think it's McKinsey has been trying to predict, or is it BCG? They've been trying to predict the total power like generated or for several years. And they always on the lower end of the curve, like, because it's since, I don't know, however long it's been going exponential up. And so they always me, think that it's a linear curve. Yeah. It's like two components. First, people never forecast exponential growth, but it's also too difficult to say, like, when does the exponential growth start? Because if you look at most technologies and how they are implemented and when they really take off, it's mm -hmm. like linear for a long time. And then they have like one point where they really start to go exponential. But yeah. to forecast what is the trigger is basically impossible because it can yeah, be like that's, that's true. technology breakthrough, which can trigger it, that it really becomes cheap all of a sudden. It can also be like government subsidies in Germany, for example, in the in the solar, where it mm. really took off is where the government started to subsidy solar uh, panels mm -hmm. on top of the houses. So they really took off and stuff like that. So you can't really predict it. But it, these figures and charts make for a very amusing kind of reading or just visualizing so that people yeah. can you know easily dive into what's what are the trends at the moment and so on so take it with a pinch of salt basically yeah so the second one generative ai do you think it's well placed with expectations and like time yeah, to totally. productivity it's very hyped right now it's a peak of inflated expectations i would say everyone is talking about how generative ai will solve like any problem which which might be true to be honest but it's i don't know some someone once told me that when i don't know common people on the street start talking about stocks then it's time to pull out basically yeah it's feels a bit like that at the moment and this yeah. is no financial advice whatsoever, I shall say that, but it gives you a bit of a feeling where we are right now. And I think everyone is, you know, diving into natural language processing because, you know, you can do a lot there. You can also do a lot in computer vision. You can do uh, basically with anything. And you see it from the companies too, like they're investing so heavily in making very... I don't know, quick solutions, I would say, so that people will, you know, come to their company and say, okay, oh, you have the best um, large language model or oh, you have the best generative AI tool. Yeah, I think two two things here. Generative AI for me, it's really overhyped at the moment. I think what's still not hyped enough is like foundational models uh, for different domains. And this like, the transformer architecture. Um, no one really knows it, or like most regular users don't know it, but I think mm. like the transformer architecture and their capability to train on sequence data and train 
foundational models, it's still not really explored yet. And I think it will be one of the biggest paradigm shifts in the future. And I think the applications where you can apply it to, most people don't understand it. So yeah. in Silico Medicine, for example, has a bunch of different generative models for uh, modeling new molecules. And it works apparently quite well, but they are using mm. it one uh, like among a stack of different generative models. So they're using GANs, they're using transformers, they're using um, diffusion models, autoencoders, stuff like that. And I think generative AI as an aid for the people will have like very high potential. Yeah, but, yeah, definitely. Uh, but I feel like it has to go through a slum where people realize yeah. that, oh, you can't do so much with it at the moment other than maybe generating cool pictures or something like that. And then then people will slowly realize like what is actually useful and what uh, you know benefits in the long term it has. Um, but I think we're not there yet. We're currently at a peak of inflation. It's, I think, I'm not sure about that. I think, yeah, we are at a peak of expectations because suddenly everyone can participate in AI through generative AI. And the use cases are so obvious for most people and so apparent. And also, you can easily apply it. Just go into mm. ChatGPT and copy and paste whatever he gives you. And that's why it's like the expectations are so high because suddenly everyone even those who don't really know the technology can use it. Yeah. I, I just don't know if we are using it in the most optimal way as possible. I think, for example, when it comes to like programmers, we'll definitely see, you know, a big benefit from generative AI and encoding, you know, making it more accessible to anyone and uh, probably also speed up development. Yeah, I think this is like the AI augmented software engineering. I think it's oh, yeah, that's true. In the for programmers, I think in general, most people use generative AI wrong. They give like a prompt, they take the input. Generative AI, it's in the name, it's generative. Uh, mm. You should use it to brainstorm, to generate many different ideas and pick the best one to go with and start to go from there. And not just give like a prompt as an input and then take a specific output. Yeah, I'm just wondering if we uh, maybe see it like, for example, when internet was booming back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then people were, you know, expecting it to immediately revolutionize everything, but you didn't have the network speed and capacity to like, you know, load websites and use it for basically anything, yeah. uh, nor did nor were the websites not that good, like all, all of the time, like some of them probably were, but maybe we are seeing something else uh, here or s something similar here where we are kind of thinking that it will be used for everything but then not really but then some people have to you know develop an add-on to it that makes it really good or combine it with another technology yeah. i think the biggest one of the biggest issues is like the interface is still not figured out yeah maybe a combination with like robots yeah, I think let's keep that because yeah. what triggered me really in this hype cycle was one, uh, why I wanted to talk about it is yeah. federated learning, and that yeah. is so high. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of reaching a plateau soon. I think the funny thing is that the White House in the US just went out or a couple of months ago went out and said that 
federated machine learning, which is what I work with in my PhD, will be one of the integral parts in their new AI act or kind of like what they will be focusing on for the next five to 10 years. So I think basically that might be a big contributor to why it is where it is at the moment. Um, but at the same time, you see a lot of people, you know, when they develop the thing with federated learning is that it's a high level architecture schematics. Like it, it works, it's model agnostic. It works for any type of um, task, natural language processing, computer vision, audio data, whatever you have it. It just, it's like an add-on on top. And I think when people start to use more AI products and want to be private about their own data, then this will be something that you need to, or I hope that people will have to integrate a solution like this, for example. Yeah, but I, I would put it like way below that. I think it's basically yeah. it's just starting out. I, I mean, it is currently in the innovation trigger, the first phase, fairly close to the peak of inflated expectations. But Do you really think so? I don't think so. I, I, th I think maybe it's in the, the thing is it's been around since like 2016. So it's actually older than the transformer model. Obviously <laughs> it moves, obviously it moves a bit slower. So I, I wouldn't say it moves as fast as, gen as generative AI because there are more people working in generative AI than federated machine learning. So it might be closing in on inflated expectations, but with a lower velocity. That's why they also put like five to 10 years until people realize it. And I think that might be true, or maybe I'm just dreaming here. So it's so that it gives me a lot of job opportunities, but <laughs> yeah, I think you're dreaming for now. <laughs> Wait, so where, where would you put it? Here, like it's a little bit for, after for, for the listeners. Where is that? Where is that? Uh, so I will put it like after it's like AI simulation, which is pretty underhyped. I would say it's like just starting out. It's like closely after the initial trigger of the innovation and because it's barely used. Yeah. What's, what's good though, is that there are since like, I would say 2020, 2021 before 2020. So it had been going on for four years. It was still local development, no, no framework, standardized material whatsoever, just a couple of research papers on this and different techniques. But now there are some interesting frameworks that you can easily integrate with, for example, iOS development and put it into like distributed settings. But uh, yeah, maybe you're right. I would say maybe the middle of the first phase. No, because I think like people do not really have like inflated expectations for federated learning that it will solve everything. And for yeah. generative AI, it's there. Maybe that's true. Yeah, I, and, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it's inflated expectations at the moment. I think industry is slowly opening up to the idea of making machine learning more private. But they are still in like research development. For my company has been working on this for a couple, like for a couple of years, but very small scale as like a, you know, some something to do. So I would put it below the plateau of productivity because I think the expectations for federated learning are below its capabilities. How do you mean right now? Where, where, uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. And, and that's why I think it's like here, because I think like 
how people see federated learning besides like the White House brief for now is not reflective of the of what it can do because until now like privacy in uh in like industry which will be the predominant use case for federated learning uh is really underutilized or completely ignored because no one cares about privacy in iot medicine I, I, okay yeah. but medicine i do think we are a bit biased here in europe and uh, like the western world or in the us because I th there's a lot of research coming out of Asia on this. Japan, uh, China, Taiwan, they are quite ahead, I would say, even though there are frameworks here in Germany and the US. So I guess, yeah, maybe you're right. It's, it's definitely in the first phase, like the innovation trigger. Oh, this discussion. I think it's a fun <laughs> topic. Um, yeah, I didn't. I honestly did not ex even expect it to be there. So that's maybe why you're right that it has very low expectations at the moment. Yeah, I think reinforcement learning. I would place it in a similar area. Yeah, but reinforcement learning that uh, that has basically been around since the '80s. That's what people don't realize. Like it's been around for so long. Yeah, I think. You, for reinforcement learning, how the field exists today, I don't think many people really hype it. It got a little bit of boost through the reinforcement learning through human feedback uh, for large language models. Yeah, but that's still like, I would put my here, I would put my trust a bit more in like Google and Google DeepMind because they use reinforcement learning and yeah. gamification in a lot of different ways, uh, which is very interesting to see. Um, of course, there are probably startups that might, I, I think the main problem is like, how do you define, yeah, what's the mathem mathematical foundation for how do you find like optimal solutions in reinforcement learning? There aren't really optimal solutions. Yeah, or it's, it's a lot to me. I mean, there's exploration and exploitations, you know, kind of included in the reinforcement learning way of working, but it seems still like there's a, a lot of just exploration and seeing what happens basically. Yeah. I would basically place reinforcement learning in the slope of enlightenment because I yeah. think like the peak of inflated expectation was when DeepMind beat all the chess players and the Star, Star Wars. AlphaGo and oh. all of this. Yeah. What is the other game? Star? Uh, the strategy not, game. Yeah, I know what you mean. What's it I called? I can't remember anymore. Yeah, it's this. Yeah. Both yeah, well, neither one of us are hardcore gamers, at least it used for PC. To be. <laughs> okay, yeah. But only League of Legends and Counter Strike. Is it called StarCraft? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And I think reinforcement learning is at the moment on on the way up in the slow of enlightenment where it gets in the direction of its true capabilities through the uh, through the developments of how to like make it a little bit more general and more robust and also easier to train. Yeah. And in my last, like yesterday, in the newsletter I sent out, it was on reinforcement learning. There were like a bunch of papers in uh, there. Yeah, I saw in, in, inverse reinforcement inverse learning. Inverse reinforcement yeah. learning, for example, which are pretty interesting. And I think it's like now slowly getting better on working on the key problems. And that's why I would put it onto the slope of enlightenment where it's like. Yeah, but at the same time, it's 
seems to be moving at a very slow pace, but maybe yeah. we are missing the exponential growth here. I I personally feel like it needs another couple of these chat GPT moments where it's like, whoa, you can use it this easily for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I hope reinforcement learning, like I have big hopes that it will be used to solve a lot of maybe more profound problems like climate change and energy solutions and all of this. I, I hope that, and I, I like DeepMind as a company. I find them very interesting in their way of working. So maybe, maybe they will come up with a couple of new things, but I would, they put here five to 10 years until it reaches the plateau of productivity. 10 plus. I, yeah, I would say 10 plus also. Yeah. But Just, maybe as as we say, maybe we are missing like an exponential growth here, and it might be that it, in five years they have gotten yeah. a couple of moments. For me, it's not an algorithm issue in itself. It's more a data issue because yeah. I think in robotics you also have a potential to get more general models and then fine tune them on specific tasks, like we're seeing in language modeling at the moment. But the issue is with getting like data for different tasks, different robots, so you can train a general model and have the data be large enough. And I think until we see that, we would need probably a very dominant player in the robotic space who is better than any other. So he can place his robots in like different tasks, different environment, different industries. And then we might see like reinforcement learning really take off. Yeah. Yeah, I would. But basically, I think we both agree that it has been passing through a peak of inflated expectations and it's very low in the in the bottom kind of early slope of enlightenment, I would say. Yeah. Okay. You want to move on? Yeah, sure. Um, is there any, are there any ones that you would have expected to see somewhere here? I like think... that, that aren't really there right now? At the moment, I, I I would have expected that web GPUs would be included in like GPUs in general mm-hmm. as a technology um, because they're really overhyped at the moment. Just look at the stock price of NVIDIA. And mm-hmm. I think I would have put them like close to the peak as well because at the moment, like I think the industry has a really big issue that most of the deals are like investments in companies and they automatically use that money to buy NVIDIA GPUs. But it's often like really new startups. So for example, Inflection AI, which is building a chatbot, has one of the biggest GPU server farms of NVIDIA chips of H100, so I think. And it's like the startup collected like hundreds of millions of dollars without even the like glimpse of getting profitable and just just for getting the hardware basically just for getting the hardware and the same is the the european ai startup from the meta guys and uh, nvidia has been uh investor in a bunch of these deals and just like basically invested money and immediately they sold them gpus for the same amount and i think it's like the industry as soon as a bunch of these startups go bankrupt you will see like the prices plummet and also once the hype is over and not every company thinks like yeah let's yeah. buy more gpus so buying a, a bunch of rtx 4090s at the moment you might pay a hefty price for it 
Yeah, and I think we will see more specialized GPUs for specific tasks. I think the standard GPUs are still optimized for like neural networks. I think we will see GPUs as well that are optimized for a transformer architecture. Yeah. So I think like IPUs are one um, which are going into that direction and they are working with Hugging Face to optimize it for their transformer library. So GP I'm missing GPUs. I would have loved to see something like robotics and 3D printing here too. This is of course not so AI related per se, but robotics, I would say definitely. Um, and I would personally put it with a 10 year plus mark until it reaches the plateau, yeah. probably 20, 30 plus uh, in my view, but then also very early on it's definitely hasn't reached any plateau of inflated expectations. And then 3D printing is also that I've seen a lot of companies starting with that to, you know, make it more resource efficient. And maybe even for you know, what we just talked about, GPU, um, like how to, how to construct it and um, chips in any way, you just do it with 3D printing and yeah, design the architecture uh, digitally. Yeah, but I think 3D printing is already beyond its peak might be yeah it's been around for very long too like the 80s 90s what do you think uh, about causal so ai the, so yeah i was just gonna say so there's there are quite many of these rings here on the graph that are two to five years causal ai honestly i don't have that much um insights about it i don't know do you yeah so I think causal AI, in my opinion, like placement, okay-ish. I would put it maybe even way lower uh, because at the moment we are still in a phase, yeah, let's just throw more data and compute at it and it will be solved. And causal AI, it's like a niche research area. And at the same time, it's so difficult and it's fairly new if we apply it to like deep learning methods and in that domain and mm. the two to five years time frame for causal AI, eh, no, no way. No, I, I mean, I don't want to say too much here, but if you say that, yeah, I feel like, so most of these points here are either between two to five year mark or five to 10 year mark. There's literally none of them that have less than two years to plateau of productivity. I, I find three of these quite interesting. So there are two points that are more than that they have identified that have more than 10 years until it reaches the plateau. Uh, so these are neurosymbolic AI, which I'm, I'm not sure what that really means. Do you know? I think neurosymbolic is like the combination of uh, symbolic AI, so which is basically if-then conditions and predefining it. And I would say neuro AI is just deep learning and combining the two. I've seen a bunch of architectures which want to build into that direction, but I wouldn't even place it on a before in like the innovation trigger phase. Yeah, it's and then. There's also another one, cybersecurity mesh architecture. This is not my field here, so yeah, I will can't talk about it. Um, but then GitOps is two to five years, and it's not inflated expectations. I mean, so GitOps is basically just 
starting yet that people have expectations towards it. And yeah, maybe we should say what it is. Git operations uh, when you, um, I don't know, how would you define it? So basically, I, I would say it's in the, the into the direction of the activities that can be defined on GitHub that like each push, for example, triggers a new activity, which for example, like if you're working in AI and you're pushing a new a new model or a new test suite, that the, the model is run through all the test suites and then if it passes, it's auto-deployed, for example. Yeah, I would say that's maybe, maybe it's actually quite good placed here, like very early on. But I, I do think that they can they can make it much more accessible and easy easy to use, basically. Yeah. So one another thing that's missing for me is like MLOps. And I would say it's like very far away for being from being like, really applied and close to its capabilities but at the moment it's also pretty hyped because it's I was... quite hyped there's so many tools out there that just needs to be some some great solution that just has all of it where you can work super easily like a big a little puzzle here and there you put pieces together yeah and i was looking for an mlops guy for the one startup i'm doing and it's like impossible hmm because there's so many tools and you're not really like you you're asking for a full stack extended engineer that has cloud experience and everything and database like there's so many things yeah. that you need would um, you, but yeah would you put any one of those into like obsolete before plateau so basically that the technology of field becomes obsolete <sighs> homomorphic encryption I'm not sure if that's like going to be the most state of the art thing that we will use before plateau productivity. There might be other sort of encryptions or privacy techniques that come along and just makes it less. Also, to be honest, like federated learning is more of a way of thinking of private data, but there are, there are already ways to differentiate it and do it differently like peer-to-peer -peer learning and so on that you if don't go via server. in your own field. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to I have to be humble here, but no, but it's, um, there are already extensions. So if you know what the way of doing it, of course, you can just move into a different direction and say, I, I, I want to extend framework in this and this way. But, okay, maybe not um, industry cloud platforms, whatever there is. Like, yeah, homomorphic encryption for me, maybe. Is it, what would you say? So first of all, it's the first time I've heard about it, like internal developer portals. I'm not even sure what it means, but I would say like that you have within the company developer portals. <laughs> not sure whether that's really necessary. Um, for me, cloud sustainability, is one thing that's at the moment it's like so hyped but i think it will also die off over time because i can't see us like replacing uh like all the data centers and stuff like that and but what if you only have edge devices that peer-to-peer -peer communicate and you don't need the clouds eventually i don't think that will happen no no but i i don't know maybe maybe in the very far future but yeah no, I think 
I, th- I don't, one I don't more... know. I, I, I don't want to say with certainty that this will go obsolete or extinct before. Yeah, it just it could reached... be. If I would have to bet on one, which won't be relevant, I would say it's AI simulation. Yeah. A strong yeah. opinion here, but it's just based on the robotics and reinforcement learning papers I've read recently that if you have the chance to generate the data in the real world, AI simulation is completely useless. And also that AI simulation often doesn't really transfer that well as expected. And mm-hmm. that you would rather have an algorithm in AI that is able to adapt one shot or few shot and learn quickly, then have a simulation environment that is able to model all the different scenarios. So make the model more general and more robust, like humans are, so they are able to to learn fairly quickly, then create a simulation environment. And I also think that if we really get the AI simulation environment to a level that it's authentic to the real world, I think we should have figured out better algorithms by then. Yeah. So Could obsolete be. before Plato put me down. Yeah. What do you think about the last one? What do you think about open source program office? What do you think about the open source movement in general? Because uh, also strong opinion. Um, I have on that. I think it's very beneficial for most companies. Um, so I'm always when I'm when I'm starting something, I'm thinking about can I open source parts of it which are really useful to developers but which still give me the potential to monetizing other stuff around it. And I think you will see that more and more because it's a good way first for branding wise to get other developers interested in your product and in your domain and also to see like which developers are you are working in your domain. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you become a thought leader. If you have everything open source and people are using your products, most companies or most clients will flock towards you because their developers are already using your tools. So they will want or need a white glove service on top of that, which you can provide. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, might be, might be true. Uh, but yeah, these are most of the points here that we wanted to discuss. I'm sure there will be, maybe we'll do a 2024 version next year and see what, what changed from the 2023 version would be very interesting to compare. Yeah. Okay. Let's go into how would you build this? Yeah. Um, I was a little bit inspired uh, by like the human centric security and privacy um, because it's apparently the source of the most leaks and also hacks are still humans. So I think I want you to focus on on emails especially and mm-hmm. how would you build a tool that either like coaches the humans uh, to be more sensible or also prevents humans from clicking links or downloading files which have malware. Okay. Um, I would definitely, I mean, there are structured programs out there to identify like what are the most common ways of attacking via email. So the malicious links that you click on and it runs some execution script and takes over your computer or downloads whatever, like it infiltrates your computer or something like that. Um, so I think a lot of weight would be put on just like 
who is the sender. I mean, this is spam filter in the end of the day, I suppose. Uh, but you would have to make it somewhat more visual maybe like with some graphic tool that kind of points you to like why it recognizes this as spam or why this is not um, i mean there are already quite good tools out there from google and microsoft i would say but to make it a bit more visual i don't know like a little bot that pops up in the side and says please take a look at this email address so that it comes from the right domain and uh, do you know this person? Yeah. This email seems to have a bit of an error. Like when you, I don't know, you type three L's instead of two L's. So you don't really see it or it has an underscore or something like that. That is a bit sketchy. You might want to, I don't know, take a look at that. Or it could, if there's a link included in the email, some of the security tips is to hover above the link, but I feel like that's prone to human error that someone tries to hover and then automatically like accidentally clicks on it. Maybe there's a solution that hovers above it and just shows you like, oh, this is actually not a link to Google or whatever. It's um seems to be to some weird website. Yeah, maybe see- even like auto-clicking the links within a sandbox and then analyzing whatever is happening. Yeah, but then at the same time, you are allowing it to to run in a sandbox and maybe maybe there's some sophisticated way to get out of it. Like I, This is obviously not my field, but I would say humans are generally visual creatures and helping out with some sort of like graphic assistant that can kind of like, I don't know, give you direction of what to do in the email specifically, show you yeah. the link, show you who sent it and so on that, that I think that will be helpful. Nice. Perfect. Uh, okay. Since we both have uh, our other things to attend to, then um let's cut it right here this was the hype cycle from gartner um and we will probably do another one next year so see what happens or soonish Stay i tuned. think they're even more frequent ah <laughs> uh, maybe yeah maybe by the end of this year but yeah stay tuned for another episode perfect see you see you